Welcome to the Further Light Podcast, brought to you and presented by Wisconsin Freemasonry, helping you accomplish your Masonic goals through education and more light. And now, I introduce to you, Brother Chris Ludke. This is Brother Chris Ludke, and today I want to explore with you the five orders of architecture. We are given a brief glimpse of the five orders of architecture and a short explanation, but have you ever stopped to wonder why? Why those five orders? After all, there are many more architectural styles out there. What is an order of architecture, and what is the lesson we're supposed to draw from this incredibly brief material that we receive. You would think, at first hearing, that maybe it's of a light and trifling nature, but I assure you, it is not. My goal here is to examine the five orders of architecture, their origins and our interpretation of them as Freemasons. First of all, what are orders of architecture? Well, in more complicated terms, an order of architecture is a certain assemblage of parts subject to uniform established proportions regulated by the office that each part has to perform. Let's boil this down. Effectively, each order is a style. We refer to them as orders of architecture when they come from the ancient classical world, the Greeks and the Romans. But today, your house may have the same thing. We may talk about your house in terms of being arts and crafts, or Italianate, or Victorian, or stick style, Queen Anne, etc. These are nothing more than orders of architecture. We simply don't use the term in modern language anymore. And each of these orders incorporates the columns as well as other parts and proportions of the building. So, when we're talking about orders of architecture, while we typically look at images of columns. In fact, it applies to the proportions and parts of a building. So, you can have orders that are more complicated than simply the columns that we see. So, what are the five orders? Well, of course, they're the Doric, the Ionic, the Corinthian, the Tuscan, and the Composite, and are thus explained. The Doric is the first and simplest of the three Greek orders. We are told, or we believe, it was developed by early Greeks based on Minoan and Mycenaean examples, which in turn were based on Egyptian designs. There's a lot of trade in the ancient world. The Egyptians are trading with the Minoans and Mycenaeans who uh, eventually give way to the Greeks, so you can see where that comes from. And the Doric is the simplest of the columns. It is a fluted column, so it has those channels running down the length of it. At the base, there is no base, so the column sits directly on the ground or whatever foundation it's sitting on. And at the top, it has a very simple round capital. The capital, of course, simply exists to transition the eye from the vertical of the column to the horizontal of the lintel or the horizontal section above it. The true Doric style is found typically in Greece, Sicily, and southern Italy, where the Greeks had colonized. And one of the finer examples, even though it's a mixed style, is actually the Parthenon on the Acropolis in Athens. Now, the Doric was too severe and plain for the Romans, who wanted something, well, more ornate. 
It was found that the length of a man's foot was generally one-sixth the height of his body, so the height of the pillar, including the capital, was made six times its thickness at the base. The Greeks are commonly trying to use the human form and incorporating it into their architecture, the reason being in their minds, in their belief system, the human form is based on the form of the gods and therefore is the perfect form. And therefore, since their temples are gifts to the gods rather than homes to the gods, why not perfect them by incorporating human proportions? Thus, the Doric pillar exhibited the proportion, strength, and beauty of the body of a man. It's based on male proportions. We believe the name Doric is actually based on a legend that the Dorians, this very early uh, Greek, ancient Greek tribe in the north of Corinth, was involved with and conquered southern Greece and established settlements, uh, as well as in Sicily and southwest Italy. The Dorians, we believe, gave their name to the style of architecture that became characteristic of the lands over which they ruled, which would have been common. There's a lot more to that, but that's where I'll leave it there. Let's move on to the Ionic. The Ionic is placed second to the Doric, although the two orders are developed more or less simultaneously. The Doric happens and then the Ionic fairly shortly thereafter, within a couple of hundred years. Now, the Ionic looks like the Doric. We have a fluted column. At the base, there's a simple cap or simple base. So it's round and then usually the last level of the base is square to transition to wherever the foundation is. At the top, you would have what appears to be a scroll over the top in the form of a capital. So on either side, you would see this scroll work that repeats on the opposite side of the column. If you were looking from the right or the left, you would simply see a rounded over piece of stone. Now, the Romans adopted the Ionic, but treated its details with less beauty and refinement. The best example is the Erechtheion on the Acropolis at Athens, maybe even the Temple of Athena Nike. Now, it was suggested that whereas the Doric pillar was modeled on the form of a man, the Ionic may have been fashioned on the proportions of a female. Now, this is kind of questionable territory given the role of women in ancient Greece, but we'll leave that aside for the moment. The height of the pillar was made eight times its thickness at the base to give it a slender look. And in its capital, the scrolls were placed hanging down at the right and left, resembling curly ringlets, and were festooned with fruit arranged in the place of hair. Now, you see that fruit sometimes. It's actually quite rare in the ancient Greek forms. The fluting, those uh, long cuts along the length of the column, was said to have been made to fall like the folds in the robes of a woman. And we do see ionic columns in the form of women on the erechtheon. Thus, the ionic pillar has the delicacy, adornment, and proportions characteristic of a woman in some people's thought process. Then we have the Corinthian. The Corinthian is the third of the three Greek orders. It actually comes much later than the Doric and the Ionic. And the difference is this. While it looks like the Ionic in that it has a round base where the very bottom level is square and we have a fluted column at the top instead of scroll work, what you have is something that is symmetrical from all directions and it grows up. It looks like a flower or a palm tree spreading over the top. 
and it first appears as a variant of the Ionic, the difference being almost entirely in the capital. This was developed during the Hellenistic period, so this is after Alexander the Great, very late in Greek culture. This order will then be adopted and fully developed by the Romans. The richness and exuberance of its decoration appealed to Roman instinct, and so they used it more frequently in their buildings than any other order of architecture. Now it is said to be modeled on the tenderness of a maiden, for the outlines and limbs of maidens were more slender on account of their tender years. The pillar, at the end of the day, is in fact more slender than the Doric or the Ionic, being usually ten times the diameter of the base. So the height is going to be ten times the diameter of the base. It's all about proportions. This is the Greeks, after all. But we are missing two, the Tuscan and the Composite. The Tuscan is the first of the five orders of architecture that are discussed, and it is severely designed with no ornamentation. It has a simple round capital. The column will be unfluted with a very simple base, typically seven diameters high. So it's much, uh, the proportions are much closer to the Doric than anything else. The Renaissance architects made it their own with a stone entablature, although the, traditionally there would be timber. And when I say entablature, I mean the horizontal directly above the columns. Sir Henry Wotton, in his Elements of Architecture, written in 1624, around the time masonry is probably developing, describes it as plain, massive, rural pillar, resembling a sturdy, well-limbed laborer or someone who is homely clad. Now, this leads to the composite. The composite, also known as the Roman, is the last of the five orders, and differs from the Corinthian only in the, in the design of the capital which is a combination of the Corinthian and the Ionic. So they put the scrolls of the Ionic above the leaves of the Corinthian. The height of the column is usually 10 diameters, similar to the Corinthian. The entablature, again, will resemble the Corinthian. And this is an order that's completely unknown to the Greeks. We believe it is a Roman invention and used largely by them in triumphal arches and to give very ornate character. The same Sir Henry Wooten we looked at before says of the order, though the most richly tricked, yet the poorest in this, that he is borrower of all of his beauty. In other words, they've borrowed everything. The Romans are basically taking this and adapting it. And this is very common for the Romans. They did that all the time with all sorts of art forms. So why do we talk about this in Freemasonry? What is the connection? Well, at the end of the day, the Ionic is symbolic of wisdom. It's allotted to the master who must possess that wisdom necessary to rule and govern the lodge efficiently and employ and instruct the brethren in Freemasonry. The master must strive to give Masonic knowledge, to gain Masonic knowledge, to enable him to obtain wisdom, which is necessary for a full appreciation of the principles and tenets of the order. In doing so, he becomes a keener and better mason, fit to lead the lodge, while seeking counsel of knowledgeable brethren. The Doric is symbolic of strength and allotted to the senior warden, who in ancient times was responsible for the actual operations of the workmen according to the plan of the master. The senior warden must possess strength to enable him to perform the important duties allotted to him. Strength, of course, without wisdom, is particularly dangerous. Therefore, the senior warden is directed at his investiture 
to act in conjunction with the master. Strength of character is obtained by carefully watching all thoughts, words, and actions. Every member of the lodge is engaged under the direction of the senior warden in building their spiritual temple. And so he must be very careful how he uses that strength. The Corinthian pillar, symbolic of beauty, is allotted to the junior warden. He is in charge when the sun is at its meridian, when life-giving properties and brightness are at their highest point. At this time of day, work ceases for a period and peace prevails. There is brief rest after toil, intimate conversation amongst brethren, and general relaxation of mind and body so that pleasure and profit may be the result. The power to express beauty of thought, word, and action is given to man alone as the only known rational life. It is in the period of relaxation that such beauty of character becomes most manifest, provided it is properly controlled. And it can be properly controlled if the Mason gives due attention to the teachings of the three great lights in Freemasonry, duty to God, regularity of conduct towards man, and passions and prejudices which are kept within due bounds. Each brother must ensure that beauty adorns the inward man. But this leaves an obvious question, because we've kind of heard this before, haven't we? So what about the Tuscan and the composite? They're just kind of thrown in there, so why are they there? Well, these other two are probably extremes that we must avoid. The Tuscan is the easy form. It achieves the bare minimum required of it. It depicts, it illustrates the man who only does the bare minimum, what is just asked of him, which can be problematic, and it's not really something that we want to see amongst Masons. The composite is at the other extreme. By combining the Ionic and the Corinthian, it adds superfluous extravagance that serves no purpose other than vanity. This is the man who appears to work hard, or makes every appearance to be successful, the right watch, the right car, but the effort is in fact a thin veil. It's someone whose character is lacking while the outward appearance would appear to be correct. Or this is the man who relies on pomp and circumstance with no substance. We've all known these people. This becomes a very important lesson in nuance. That while we need to understand that there is this spectrum in life, in behavior, there are limits. Apparently, the writer of the ritual disliked excessive plainness or excessive ornamentation and found no particular symbolism in these two orders. And we also must ask, why do we esteem the Greeks here? Why do we say it is to the Greeks and not the Romans? Well, remember, Freemasonry was undergoing its formative years during the Enlightenment, a time when learned scholars would look back to the Greeks and the Romans, primarily the Greeks, before moving forward with their studies. Arguably, all of Western civilization is built on Greek thought, democracy, and culture. We are showing a direct connection to a highly esteemed ancient society, and drawing the observer's thoughts to the Greeks, perhaps giving them an idea of where to start and where to begin their studies to become a better man. So let's tie this up. The five orders of architecture would seem to stand out as superfluous to the lessons of Freemasonry, but they are not. 
They teach roles within the lodge, roles in our own lives, and perhaps most importantly, teach us where we must remain within due bounds to avoid being too simple or too extravagant. It's showing us a middle path, and that that phrase is actually rather unique because it only really turns up in a few other places, but it is a universal teaching, this idea that you can be too ascetic, too simple, too minimalist, but you can also be too extravagant. And to find happiness, you must look down the middle. And by the way, we see that in the circumpunct, we see that in other symbolism and teachings in Freemasonry. Finally, this material gives us one of many concrete starting parts for improving ourselves through masonry. Brothers, thank you for joining me for another episode of the Further Light Podcast. Are you interested in learning more about Freemasonry in Wisconsin? Visit wisconsinmasons.org. That's w-i-masons.org to learn more about masonry and access further educational content and further light masonry. Thank you for listening. <laughs>